as my high school teacher, Miss Judy Coleman, used to say, we must adjust to changing times and still hold to unchanging principles. Hello and welcome to Unchanging Principles. I'm your host, Josh Carter, and I'm President Carter's grandson. I'm recording this episode on February 23rd, 2023. So by now, of course, my grandfather has released the news that he has been in and out of the hospital past couple times past month. And uh, he's opted to stay home and receive hospice care in his home, surrounded by his friends and his family. I went to go and see him yesterday to give him a final report on the story I'm about to tell you. And of course, as as you can imagine, things in my family are very fluid right now. uh, And it's hard. It's it's really hard. I've been down uh, more than a few times these past couple of weeks, and I brought my family down last week to go and see him. And I may be popping down tomorrow or this weekend. I I just don't know. We're all preparing for what's to come. And at this point, I'm not going to say much more about it other than to say that it's going about as well as these things can go. But it's still hard. But I want to tell you about an event that I went to last Friday uh, to kick off President's Day weekend on February 17th, 2023. I was invited by Secretary of the Navy, Carlos del Toro, to come and speak at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. He and uh, Vice Admiral Sean Buck, the superintendent of the Naval Academy, hosted me as they held a ceremony renaming a building in the Academy in my grandfather's honor. Now, I was invited to speak, and the only thing that I knew at the time was that the Naval Academy was renaming a building, which I later learned was Building 105, which didn't mean anything to me at all, and that they wanted me to say some words. So I pulled up to the Naval Academy, and they parked me in front of an enormous (laughs) stately building. And I just assumed this where where the parking was, and they parked me there, and then they were going to walk me to the building they're going to name Carter Hall. Uh, And it only dawned on me as I was walking into the building that that was the building they were renaming. And I got to tell you, I was overwhelmed. It turns out that Building 105 was formerly Maury Hall, one of the three original buildings on campus. It is one of two main classroom buildings on campus And every midshipman at the academy will learn humanities, engineering, and language arts at Carter Hall. How perfect is that? So starting this year in 2023, since I gave my speech, every midshipman graduating out of the academy will have gone through Carter Hall. In 2027, in four years, every midshipman graduating out of the academy will have only ever known Carter Hall. And in 43 years from now, in the year 2066, and every year after that, 
every single naval officer that came through the academy will have a story about a class or a professor or a classmate or an exam, some trial and tribulation that they went through in Carter Hall. So I went down to Plains yesterday to tell my grandfather about accepting Carter Hall in his honor. And he was really pleased. But when I told him that they were renaming Maury Hall, he said, Maury Hall, that's a good one. And then he started to cry. All he could say and kept saying over and over and over again was that it was an incredible honor. And he was overwhelmed. He said he knew every single room in that building. And I started to show him a picture of it, but he just waved my phone away. He knew exactly what it looked like. You know, I can remember very few moments in my life when I saw my grandfather as moved as he was when I told him about my trip to the academy. I mean, a handful. We're talking when he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize and when Secretary John Dalton named the Seawolf Class SSN-23 submarine the USS Jimmy Carter. I can tell you with all certainty that this was one of the most impactful and touching honors that my grandfather has ever received. At the ceremony, we were joined by Admiral Paul Reason. Now, Admiral Reason served in my grandfather's White House, and he went on to have an incredible career in the Navy. Admiral Reason retired commander-in-chief of the Atlantic Fleet, and he was the Navy's first African-American four-star admiral. I was also joined by somebody who was close to Wesley Brown. Now, Wesley Brown was the first African-American graduate of the Naval Academy. He was not the first African-American midshipman, but the previous four or five black midshipmen were all bullied or hazed out of the academy. Wesley Brown was a few classes behind my grandfather. Jimmy Carter was class of 47, and Wesley Brown was class of 49. But my grandfather saw that he was being hazed, you know, more than normal hazing at the time. And he went to the superintendent of the academy, and he reported what he saw. He said, it's clear that these midshipmen are trying to haze out Wesley Brown. And the superintendent of the academy then turned around and told the entire school that any deferments for midshipman Brown must come through his office and he would reject any deferment that did not have his signature on it. So Wesley Brown was a close friend of my grandfather's and they competed together in cross country. Brown retired a lieutenant commander and this gentleman that reported to me about how much my grandfather's friendship and support meant to him through his time at the academy and his career at the Navy. So I was honored to have, have him in attendance. And I was also joined by former Secretary John Dalton and his wife, Margaret. Now, John Dalton was Secretary of the Navy under Bill Clinton, but he knew my grandfather back when he was running it in the Democratic primary with all of 1% name recognition in 1975. They have been lifelong friends of my grandparents, and I was excited to see them again. I mean, there was, there was a lot of brass, as you could imagine, in an event like that. I think I counted 17 stars when I looked at all the admirals that were there. Um, but back to the ceremony, I was the keynote speaker. And I didn't know that for sure at the time, but I was prepared just in case. 
and, and I did not coordinate any of my words with anybody in the academy. Uh, the presenter right before me was retired Rear Admiral Cox, who was the historian of the Naval Academy. And he was right before me. And I was getting a little bit nervous because my speech was about Jimmy Carter's life in the Navy, which started in Annapolis, then went to the USS Wyoming, then the Mississippi, and then submarines starting with the USS Pomfret, then the K-1, and then he built a nuclear Navy with Admiral Hyman Rickover. Now, Admiral Cox's speech was about Jimmy Carter's life in the Navy, which started in Annapolis, and then he went to the USS Wyoming, then the Mississippi, and then submarines starting with the USS Pomfret and the K-1, and then he built a nuclear Navy with Admiral Hyman Rickover. Okay, Josh, go. Great. But it ended up that Admiral Cox gave the facts and figures, and I filled in the timeline with the stories from the man, Jimmy Carter, the namesake of Carter Hall. Now, what you'll hear next is the speech I gave at the Naval Academy. And the audio is a little difficult to hear, so I've re-recorded it for you. But I'll try to keep the essence of being there. So uh, this is my speech at the Academy. Lieutenant, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Good morning. morning. My name is Josh Carter, and I'm friends of Carter's Bracelet. I'm honored to be here at the Naval Academy today, representing my grandfather, as this great building is named Carter Hall. I went down to Plains, Georgia to see my grandfather in his home just about two weeks ago, and I gave him the news that um, Secretary Del Toro was going to rename this building at the Naval Academy in his honor. And he said that he is humbled and very excited to be recognized in the Naval Academy as long as we were not renaming the Rick Over Building. <laughs> 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 it would be impossible to overstate with this Academy and the Navy his love of the Navy started when he was just a schoolboy living on a farm in Archery, Georgia. His adventures at that time were almost exclusively traveling to the big city of Plains, Georgia every weekend to sell bags of peanuts for five cents a bag. Otherwise, he went to school and worked the land just steps away from his front door at home. He grew peanuts, sorghum, millet, corn, cotton, sugarcane, he worked in the blacksmith shop, and he manned his father's store. But he gained his sense of adventure through his favorite uncle, Lieutenant Tom Gordy. Now, Tom was an officer in the Navy operating the Pacific, and he adopted my grandfather as a pen pal. Now, at that time in his life, my grandfather's most cherished possessions were his letters he received from Lieutenant Gordy, from exotic locations like Australia, Japan, China, in the Philippines. On December 8th, 1941, the morning after Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor, my grandfather received a letter from Lieutenant Gordy that he had sent from his station on the island of Guam. It just so happened that that very day, Japan captured the island and my grandfather's Uncle Tom. Nobody in the family knew of his fate at the time, but my grandfather's course through the armed forces was solidified. This school became his primary goal. He was unable to get into the academy from Plains, Georgia, so he got there through the ROTC program at Georgia Tech. Go Jackets. After his sophomore year at Georgia Tech, he was admitted here in the class of 1947, but because of the war, 
He and his class graduated in June of 1946. Now, at the time, he was infatuated with aviation and was determined to be a naval aviator. Every time an upperclassman he knew got flight hours in an observation plane or a patrol bomber, he tried to get himself on board. And he learned to take off and land, on land and on water, while he was studying here. And of course, he went out to sea. He was a student here, at sea, when President Truman ordered the strike on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And he celebrated with his classmates, here, at sea, when Japan surrendered World War II. It is hard to imagine more formative years for a midshipman to start his career. When he graduated from the academy, his first post was on the USS Wyoming, the oldest battleship in the fleet. The Wyoming's fighting days were over, but the Navy used the ship as a testbed for new advanced systems of radar, communications, LORAN, fire control, and new weapons. Jimmy Carter was the electronics officer, and he really disliked this post. The Wyoming was in awful shape. Its hull was worn, and despite their best efforts, it leaked oil so bad that it was never allowed into port. As a new graduate, he rarely got priority on any of the ferries to and from the port, so he was basically stuck, a newlywed new graduate, on a rustic hull, floating off the shore, getting electrocuted trying to figure out new radar systems. The Wyoming was as far as it could be from naval aviation. But eventually, the Navy retired the Wyoming and replaced it with the USS Mississippi. The entire crew switched over to the Mississippi, and the Mississippi carried on the same mission. It was basically the same ship, but in better shape. And the Mississippi was allowed into port. And just that one small change allowed my grandfather the freedom to recognize that he had one of the best jobs in the Navy. Basically straight out of school, this school, Jimmy Carter was the electronics officer with unrestricted access to installing, testing, and commissioning many of the United States Armed Forces' most advanced technologies. He was on the cutting edge, and now that he realized it, he was hooked. So with this perspective, he gave up his aviation dreams and redoubled his efforts to learn everything he could about seamanship, navigation, the equipment coming on board, and the ship itself. He saw the Navy was making its most exciting advances in the submarine force. So after two years as electronics officer, he applied to go to submarine school. He was sent to New Haven to learn about the construction and diving principles of the ships, how to assemble, store, and fire torpedoes, how to operate all the different guns, and how to care for the batteries. He also learned how to escape a submarine, and his free ascent training day is still one of his most memorable and vivid memories of the Navy. That was 100 feet underwater with no gear. But the thing that really drove my grandfather's fascination in submarines was that officers had to be masters of all disciplines on the ship. Enginemen, electricians, torpedo experts, boatswains, quartermasters, gunners, navigation, fire control, everything. He knew that one mistake in judgment, a lack of knowledge, an error in opening or closing a valve could endanger everyone on board. Now his first submarine was the Pomfret, and that took him and his family to Honolulu, which he liked a lot better than the USS Wyoming. It's not a stretch that the Pomfret, with its 16-foot diameter hull, 
made him fall in love with submarines. He learned every piece of equipment, every valve, every knob, every sensor, every bolt of that submarine. And he was aboard the USS Pomfret when he learned that the Navy was developing a brand new class of submarine, the USS K-1, the Navy's first snorkel design that would allow the submarine to stay submerged for a month at a time. He immediately applied, and he was immediately accepted. He reported to New London, where he was designated the engineering officer over the K-1. In fact, at the time, he was the only officer on detail on the K-1. His work included overseeing the final assembly and testing this remarkable submarine and designing all the protocols for operation. This included everything from inventorying the tools and linens and dishes to outfitting the pantry to conducting clandestine warfare and everything in between. He was very successful as the engineering officer on the K-1, and he was on the K-1 when he learned that Admiral Hyman Rickover was starting a top-secret program to use nuclear power peacefully, to create a self-contained nuclear power plant small enough and powerful enough to propel a submarine. Jimmy Carter replied, And what happened next was so foundational to my grandfather's life that he wrote this story in the first book he ever wrote and the last book he ever wrote. These are his words from both books. Quote, I had applied for the nuclear submarine program, and Admiral Rickover was interviewing me for the job. It was the first time I had met Admiral Rickover, and we sat in a large room by ourselves for more than two hours, and he let me choose any subject I wished to discuss. Very carefully, I chose those about which I knew the most at the time, current events, seamanship, music, literature, naval tactics, electronics, gunnery, and he began to ask me a series of questions of increasing difficulty. In each instance, he soon proved that I knew relatively little about the subject I had chosen. He always looked me right in my eyes, and he never smiled. I was saturated with cold sweat. Finally, he asked me a question, and I thought I could redeem myself. He said, how did you stand in your class at the academy? Since I had completed my sophomore year at Georgia Tech before entering Annapolis as a plebe, I had done very well, and I swelled my chest with pride and answered, Sir, I stood 59th in a class of 820. I sat back and waited for the congratulations, which never came. Instead, the question, Did you do your best? I started to say, Yes, sir. But I remembered who this was and recalled several of the many times at the academy when I could have learned more about our allies, our enemies, weapons, strategy, and so forth. I was just human. I finally gulped and said, no, sir. I didn't always do my best. He looked at me for a long time and then turned his chair around to end the interview. He asked me one final question, which was, why not? I sat there for a while, shaken, and I slowly left the room. End quote. He went home and told his wife, Rosalind, that he did poorly, and he wasn't going to get the job. 
Now, of course, as you all know, he did get that job. Admiral Rickover was trying out two new nuclear power plant designs, a water-cooled design and a sodium-cooled design. And Jimmy Carter was on the sodium-cooled USS Seawolf. But more important than the submarine was my grandfather's relationship with Admiral Rickover. He was controversial. He was abrasive. He was quick to correct. He expected excellence. He did not give out accolades. But Admiral Rickover never once asked my grandfather or any other officer to do a job that he wouldn't do, and he never asked any subordinate to work harder than he did. Admiral Rickover strived to master the most complex problems the United States Navy had ever tackled. And it was from Rickover's total devotion to this mastery that my grandfather learned that the most complex problems in the world could be solved by dedication, competency, expertise, and a lot of hard work. In short, Admiral Rickover demanded and received his best. It was life on the farm that gave my grandfather his work ethic and his ability to enjoy getting up at 5.30 every morning. But it was this school that taught him discipline, the value of expertise, and the importance of service. I know that every student that comes through Carter Hall will learn that this building's namesake was the President of the United States. But it is my hope that every student that comes through this great hall will learn the same foundational values that my grandfather learned here and throughout his career in the Navy. Discipline, leadership, command, command responsibility, service. It's my hope that the students here will always do their best. And since Carter Hall is here at the Naval Academy, I know this will be true. So on behalf of my grandfather, Jimmy Carter, I thank you for this great honor. an incredible event. I mean, it was just the perfect event at the perfect time. And I'm just so honored that I've been able to receive that honor on behalf of my grandfather while I am still able to go and pop down a plane to go tell him about it. I want to thank the United States Naval Academy for hosting me. I want to thank Secretary Carlos del Toro for thinking of Jimmy Carter and naming Carter Hall. I want to thank uh, Superintendent Vice Admiral Sean Buck for hosting me at the Academy. And I need to give a special thanks to Ann McConnell and Captain Dorsey for actually putting on the event. And I want to hear from you. You know, many times people only look at my grandfather's political career because, you know, why wouldn't you? He was President of the United States. But if you have a story that you'd like to share about the Navy. Maybe you cross paths with my grandfather's career or you have some story about your time at the Naval Academy that you'd like to share or you're on the USS Jimmy Carter or really any story you'd like to share, please email me at josh at unchangingprinciples.com and I would love to hear it. So thank you for listening to Unchanging Principles and I will talk to you soon. Bye.